Hi, I'm Georgia Graham, and I'm a writer, editor, and pretty much retired model. This is Threads of Conversation, a show where I talk to creative people about their life and career via eight items of clothing. Today, my guest is Claire Berman. You might not know her name, but you've definitely seen her work. As a producer extraordinaire, Claire is the person that, in short, makes cool stuff happen. Way back in 2014, Claire co-founded the creative agency Babyface, a collective of women who pioneered feminism in fashion way ahead of the millennial pink chokehold. After shuttering in 2019, Claire founded her own production agency, CB Studio. Her roster of clients reads like a who's who of the fashion industry. From Bottega Veneta to Martine Rose to Glossier, CB produces parties, fashion shows, store openings, music videos, photo shoots, and more. Oh, and in 2022, Claire also produced a baby. Claire, welcome to the show. <laughs> so we can start with the first piece. So this is the piece that reminds you of your childhood. So um, please tell us what you've chosen here. And if you can't remember, I can remind you. I think, I think I chose like three pieces. I think I said some patent clogs, some kind of caterpillar boots and some denim pedal pushers. <laughs> so, this is a real look. This real isn't look. a piece, this is a whole look. <laughs> yeah. You're coming in strong. Um, I couldn't pick. Basically, I feel like I spent so much of my childhood in markets. Um, and it really makes sense now because I, I'm obsessed with going to car boot markets. Like, any free Sunday, that's where you'll find me. Um, and I was looking back at baby photos, actually, because I was trying. I was like, what Like what were the items that I really loved? And then you look back and you're like, oh, my God, I remember loving those. Um, and, yeah, the paint clogs are kind of like bright green little clogs that I definitely... I had on with some little denim shorts, I think. Um... And I also love a clog now, obsessed with a clog. (laughs) And the pedal pushes, I really remember, like, kind of bewitched era like that. I think I'm pretty sure I had a little denim top to match. Really tight, tiny, tiny little pedal pushes with, like, a little slit here. Just just so you can bend the knee a tiny bit. (laughs) Not too much. Practicality is really not the the crux of this outfit. No, and I definitely got those from a market in Bristol. I I, I, I was born in Bristol, that's where I grew up. and, yeah, I remember getting those from a market in Bristol. And then the little caterpillar boots, I just was looking back at photos, and I was like, God, I really love those. I had them on with everything, dresses, leggings, shorts, like, just everything, just, like, my little kind of little desert boots. So I don't know where I was going, but, yeah. <laughs> nice. So it sounds like you had a really strong sense of style from an early age. Tell us a bit more about your childhood, where you grew up. Um, you know, did you have very stylish parents? Were, did, were there a lot of sort of fashion influences around you or were you totally insulated from all that? I was honestly totally <laughs> insulated from all of that. I grew up in, so I was born in Bristol um, and then I moved to Clevedon, which is a small kind of seaside town about 20, 30 minutes outside of Bristol at around seven. And then I was there until I was 18, until I went to uni in Brighton. Um, Clevedon is really kind of shut off, like very boring, not much to do. Um, And it was just me, my mum and my brother and my sister. And my mum had moved over from Morocco when she was like 21. Yeah, we just had like a very kind of normal, quite quiet upbringing and so I didn't have loads I definitely didn't have loads of fashion influences where do you yes. think your earliest style influences <laughs> came from oh my god it was definitely music my whole bedroom was covered in posters of musicians um I loved like S Club 7 Spice Girls obviously Spice Girls I was obsessed with Bewitched All Saints Five like you know just all of those <laughs> 90s bands and musicians yeah definitely. boy bands with so many members in them where you just yeah. think when you come to splitting the, the paychecks how does that even work Destiny's Child that was a big one I used to get all the belts from New Look you know like all those kind of like 
leather belts that had like the little kind of circular discs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, would love. I had so many terrible belts from New Look as a teenager. And what were you like as a kid? Like, what was your personality? Were you always very organised? I was always very organised. I think um, that kind of, for me, I, I was a carer for my mum when I was younger, and I think that was from about nine, and so I was always looking after my brother and my sister, and I was really, um, I just had to be a bit of an adult from a young age. And I think that, when people always ask me, where does that come from? And I think, oh, I think my sense of kind of being organised has come from just having to do it when I was younger. Yeah, I was very on it because I was always kind of getting my little brother and my little sister in order and like, you know, taking us places. I feel like I've always been quite independent, actually. I've always kind of been very good at kind of independently getting on with things. Yeah, so can you talk us through this sort of... So from childhood, how mm. did you come to London? Mm. Um, did you go to uni? Where did you go to uni? So I went to uni at Sussex in Brighton, studied law, because at the time that was I was convinced that's what I wanted to be, a lawyer. And I think that um, I had done it at A-Love where I really enjoyed it. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to make loads of money. That's what I'm <laughs> going to do. <laughs> um, so I went to Sussex, loved it, like absolutely loved it, but realised quite quickly that law wasn't for me. And at the time, I don't know why I didn't switch courses or do something else but I stuck it out and graduated um but I think as each year as I kind of went into each year I kind of just partied more and more and more um and I think probably being in Bright being in Brighton as a student was incredible like it's the best place to be a student I really loved it and I would go out a lot and I always like really loved events and um yeah I think that for me was kind of the beginning of I want to be involved in something like this. I knew that I didn't want to do law, um, but I was like, I'm really interested how this stuff happens and how it's like put together and who organises it and stuff like that. Let's move on to your next piece and then mm. we can, I can ask you more questions about your time in Brighton. Mm -hmm. um, so this is the piece that reminds you of your career. Mm -hmm. So um, can you describe what you have chosen for this category? Yes, the blazer. Um, capital T, capital B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really easy for me straight away. I was like, I know it's a blazer. Any, if you ask any of my friends, they'll be like, yeah, it's a blazer. For me, it's a bit of a security blanket. I'm definitely always like one of the smallest in the rooms. I look younger than I am. And I think like having a blazer on just makes me feel like it exerts an energy that I feel like I need to give off to sometimes make people take me a little more seriously. Actually, my first, first blazer was when I was about 16. I got it from Mango and I was convinced that it made me look so old that I would get into Oceana with all my friends. And so I was like, yeah, I'm buying this black blazer. <laughs> makes me look 18 for sure. Um, it didn't. I didn't get in. <laughs> I think then I probably revisited the blazer when I came to London. And actually my first proper job was at the British Fashion Council. And we used to do the Fashion Awards. And we had to look smart. And we you know, had to wear all black. And I remember going to get a blazer from um, Topshop Boutique, I think it was. It was like a kind of black satiny um, blazer. And I think over the years I've like upgraded that as my... As I've kind of, yeah, got older and have better means, I've got nicer blazers. Yeah. <laughs> There's no longer a mango or a Topshop boutique. And I think probably the one I wear the most at the moment is just a black Burberry blazer, which just fits me really, really well. Um, but also have 
a really nice Wells Bonner one, Maximilian. The blazer glow up is real. Yeah, yeah exactly. The blazer glow up. Similarly, when I transitioned from modelling to um, working in a more corporate environment, and I just was a bit like, I don't know what any of this is. Everyone's using all these acronyms. I have no idea. Like, yeah. I can barely open my mouth. Like, kind of thing, like, <laughs> yes, I'll join the meeting. Yeah. Um, and I started to dress really smart because it was that thing of constructing a character that I could then embody literally by wearing the clothes and then sort of feel more like that and then gradually grow in confidence. I'm interested to know, how would you describe your job if someone said, what do you do? Um, make stuff happen in the backgrounds, <laughs> quietly. Um, I think actually in your intro, you put it quite well that you might not know my name, but maybe you know some of the work. And actually, I really like that. I like not being in the limelight. I like being in the background, quietly making things happen. Would you consider yourself someone that works in fashion or are you sort of across all the creative industries? Um, I don't think I ever describe myself as someone that works in fashion, but... I mean, if you probably look at my work, then you'd be like, this person works in fashion. Mm. <laughs> and I think, like, my boyfriend would be like, you work in fashion. And so in terms of career trajectory, um, let's talk from Brighton to where you are now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how did you get there? <laughs> yeah, so um, I came to Brighton... No, I came to London when I graduated. So that was 2000 and. 11. I had a law degree and knew that I wanted to kind of, at the time I wanted to work in events. I actually didn't really know what production meant. I just knew that I wanted to do events and kind of, and make them happen. And so I, my first job was working in a law journal um, on the events department and it was really boring. It was like, it was, um, it was just like arranging like really corporate events where you'd like hand out name badges and everyone was called like you know delegates and you know like all yeah, like yeah. all of this stuff it was yeah boring lots of small sandwiches yeah and exactly silver trays full of business cards yeah and, yeah. yeah and I remember like doing events in like bank and stuff it was really bizarre but I needed money and that I was like okay well this is kind of an events job and then I I did like a, a few weird kind of little internships that was kind of doing like fashion pop-up type things for like if, like these random marketing kind of agencies that don't exist anymore and then worked in a pub in the evening to actually make money for a bit and then it was it was I saw a job advertised at the British Fashion Council for events executive and I was like okay this seems fun I'm this this is what I should do I remember at the time googling London Fashion Week trying to like you know, I was like I don't know anything about fashion like googling random things that I thought they were going to ask me they didn't ask me anything about fashion and I turned up for my interview a week early <laughs> so keen <laughs> so keen but the guy my manager at the time Alex that was interviewing me was so sweet they were actually like in the middle of setting up for something but he took me into like a random room at Somerset House interviewed me really quickly and um yeah anyway I went back for several interviews after and I ended up getting the job but I think for me that was like my first real moment of being in a job in London in kind of this environment that I, and I was so young I was able to learn so so much I worked on the events team there and I worked there for about three and a half years um and because the BFC is so small you end up working with all of the designers all of the PRs you learn about all the venues like you kind of it was really good because it just throws you into everything um and then I left the BFC had a stint at Dazed as an events manager there had a very small stint at Burberry on the events team, hated it. It was too corporate for me. She's got the blazer. Up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, I think because with Burberry, it was just, it was so big that you're like this tiny, tiny cog. And it was like, your whole job was making sure that a canopy was like 
one centimeter by one centimeter and like mm. everything was uniform and like it was there was just no creativity at all and I think I'd got come from the BFC which is quite scrappy but you could do everything and like really get involved whereas this was like you're in charge of the tiny little miniature canapes and I was like no this is so boring um and then I in the background I had been setting up babyface so actually since when I was at uh the BFC I would you know it's like started in my evenings weekends lunch breaks three times and gradually got to a point where we were able to leave our jobs and do that so I did that for about three years full-time tell us who you started babyface with and sort of what it was at the beginning so I started babyface with a friend of mine and at the beginning Again, we were like, we had both come from Sussex, we'd both come to London, and I think we were kind of like thrown into this community, kind of creative community. I was like living in Dalston on the strip. I was like spending my whole time going out and meeting all these amazing people and loads of amazing women. And we kind of wanted a place to facilitate that where we could just like support and encourage um, and just like shout about people's work. Um, So that's really where it started. And it was like, you know, we would interview someone ask them a bunch of questions, ask them to recommend someone else. And like really naturally we kind of just built this community. And then it got to a point where we were like, well, let's start trying to work with them. Like let's start trying to make work and we can hire these people and bring these in. And, you know, and then brands started hiring us and then we had like a few mini like retainers or consultancies. And yeah, it kind of just really grew from this little idea of just wanting to talk about cool women. Also, we had no idea what we were doing. Absolutely no idea at all. Um, I know I laugh when you say consulting because I remember I was consulting for Fiorucci and my friend was basically oh, a yes, creative director course. and he was like, hey, I want you to come and be a consultant but I had no idea what that meant. So I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah. But I had no idea really what I was. And now I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. You basically get paid to go and give your opinion on yeah. something. Uh, yeah, we had no idea. We were completely bluffing it. And it's really funny because I look back at some of the projects that we had done where we had like really fucked up and it's just really funny because I'm like, we were so naive and young and, it were, you know, we were all learning on the job. But it was really great. I met some of my best friends um, via via that. I met my partner at the time, like, who's my partner still, um, through in that period of my life and kind of, you know, working and collaborating with, like, peers. And it's actually, everyone always says, like, to me, how did you start this? Did you know loads of people when you came to London? I'm like, no, I knew, like, one person and... I just went out. You have to go out and party and meet people and like, you know, make work with your friends and collaborate with them. And it's so, for me, like it was so important. And how are you publishing the interviews? Was this on your website? Were you pitching it to other magazines? It was on a website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember like sitting um, on on a lunch break and like on the back of my diary like drawing like these really really shit kind of diagrams of like how we wanted the website to look and then finding a guy and being like hey can you help us make this this is what we're thinking it was like a wordpress or whatever on the back end and you would like upload the photos and then all the copy and um yeah that was (laughs) that was how (laughs) when did you uh decide that it was the right time to sort of close that down and move on to the next thing so I think it was we were approaching our 30s I think we were like 29 when we closed it um and we had probably we'd been doing it for about five years at that point I think and I think it was around the time where like lots of these really brilliant kind of female communities and collectives were like popping up and I think we felt like we wanted it to end on a high we didn't want it to like fizzle out and we also wanted to like pass it on to that next generation of younger girls 
Did you always know that CB was something that you wanted to start? Um, had you always dreamed of having your own company? No, actually, it was never, that was kind of never my goal at the time. I think when we closed Babyface, um, I had, I was doing lots of kind of freelance production work um, and working for various kind of brands and some of our existing clients had got back in contact and were like, you know, can you, can you actually produce this event or can you do this? And I, at the time, was like, okay, I I, I was so used to kind of the infrastructure of Babyface, which meant that we were a limited company, we were VAT registered. I had the infrastructure to be able to, like, respond and execute those briefs. So at the time, I was like, okay, I'm just going to set up my own little thing just so I can um, take on some of these projects as and when I need to. And then I was going to move to America, actually. So around that time, I was I had got my visa. Um, I'd got an O-1. And I didn't really... Ha- it felt like a new kind of fresh beginning for me. I kind of had... Nothing was tying me down to London... I was a bit like, I can do whatever I want now. I can go wherever I want. And then COVID happened. (laughs) So it was like two weeks before we were supposed to move. So I'd packed my whole house up. Everything was in boxes. was about to go to LA. Um, Really with no plan at all. I was just going to go. And I was like, I'll figure it out. Like something will happen. um, And then, yeah, COVID happened. So I was like, I said to, I said to Bafik, my partner, I was like, we're not, um, we're not unpacking because this will be over in a month and then we'll go and like six weeks have passed and we're just like in the house literally like in but with boxes and it's like so sad and I was like okay I think we need to unpack and then yeah like obviously a year and a half later we were still in London but what that meant is that I then kind of I I guess my focus had changed and I there were three months where I didn't work and was kind of quietly panicking with like the rest of the world and like what's going on um but also really enjoying it I actually looked back and had like a really fab time (laughs) during that period but then there was this moment when after those three months when like there was just this everyone was making stuff everyone because everyone was at home there was just like this insane need for like content and like loads of shoots and stuff were Mm. happening um and so it was at that moment I kind of started doing slightly more shoot like more shoot production because my background had always been events live events I'd done a bit of shoot stuff um but it was never really my focus and if you'd asked me at the time I was always like "Mm, I'm not really interested in that I love live events I love like that you can like see them smell them taste like you know it just kind of like it kind of gets all the senses going in a way that I used to find kind of content a bit too fleeting sometimes I'd be like I just brush past it swipe past it and you don't think about it again so that was always my thing and I was like I'm not that interested in doing it and then because of that period of time where I was like okay I'm gonna do this (laughs) because there's no events happening um I spent a year and a half like just doing that like really solidly and working at first working with Bath and then like lots of other friends and by the time I guess we'd popped our head out of COVID I was like wow I've just spent the last you know 12 months doing all of this stuff and it meant that I had come out the other end and was like oh I've just really diversified my offering I can now do this and I can do this um and now I have like way more foundations like tied down in London than I did previously because before I was a bit like "Mm, I can I don't yeah nothing's really keeping me here so that was for me that was kind of like the beginning of CB and I was like oh maybe it makes sense that I stay here and do that and then yeah, I think actually probably quite shortly after that, I then got pregnant and was like, okay, well, I'm definitely staying in London. But yeah, all kind of one thing led to another. And yeah, 
mm. very long <laughs> response to your question, but that's no, kind no, no. of the inf- like how that started, yeah. Particularly in production, sometimes some people, are, you know, it's very much like, oh, well, you do this type of production, like you just do events or you just do film or you just do this. And I think what I decided to do was like move across to this area and try and do this. And at first, I think a lot of people were like, who are you? Like, you haven't done, you haven't done this before, especially like in like the film industry when you're working with all of like real like camera crew and things like that. And they're like, it's so, the trajectory is like, you're a runner and then you're a PA and then you're a um, production manager and that, you know, and you're, you're assisting, um, working underneath, sorry, executive producers. And I, I didn't really do any of that. I kind of just like did my own thing over here and then like shuffled across and was like, well, you know, I'm really good at this type of production. I know I can figure out this and just fill in the gaps. Um, so it definitely, I remember at the time, there was a period around that time when I started just doing a bunch of new work that had loads of different production agencies reach out to me. And half of them were kind of like, who are you and what are you doing? And a few of us were like, do you want to come and work for us? But I think it was definitely like, they were like, where has this person just like popped up from? (laughs) No, well, congratulations. I think that's very much a testament to your skill. Um, So let's move on to your next piece. So this is the piece that reminds you of a high. And so for this, you've picked your Connor Ives t-shirt dress. Oh, yes. yes. Um, you put here, I wore it loads when I was pregnant, and it also comes with me on every holiday and dance floor. Great for all occasions. Please, can you describe this piece for us? Yes, yeah, so it's a it's like a long t-shirt dress that's kind of um, made out of four different t-shirts. So, yeah, it's like deconstructed t-shirts that have been sewn together. So it's like, yeah, four different t-shirts. <laughs> um, and it's blue and white and orange and... Yeah, it's just really fab. I think I've worn it for so many different things. Um, As I mentioned, I wore it loads when I was pregnant, and it's really great for all holidays and loads of dance floors. So, yeah, I feel like I always have a really fun time whenever I'm wearing it. And uh, you mentioned there your kind of maternity style, so two questions. Can you describe your style for us and then um, also describe how it changed or didn't change while you were... um going what do you say going through maternity when you were, while you <laughs> when were pregnant, pregnant. Yeah. yeah that's a, um, a woman of words I am <laughs> <laughs> how do I, I honestly find this question so hard I don't know how I describe my style um let me come back to that one your first question did my style change when I was pregnant definitely I feel like being pregnant came like with that came with like this new type of confidence that I just hadn't felt before when getting dressed and I think it's because I had a hard belly I've never had a hard belly (laughs) it's like this is fab and you're able to dress it in this way that you know I will look I will like I never I'm just not like a bodycon type out that's just like you won't see me in anything that's like um well I think also as a producer you have so much you have to run around and sort out so much stuff that you just need to dress in a really practical way yeah. do you know what I mean you can't be like mincing around in some skin tight number yeah exactly <laughs> um but when I was pregnant I think I told I bought like loads of skims loved that for me um and I don't know you just feel like you feel like sexy in this like whole new way and you feel like no one's looking at you like that but you could but you can feel like that Maybe this is a bit of a, like a cheesy question, but you uh, your pregnancy coincided with that of our Lord and Saviour Rihanna. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah. and so I just want to ask: Do you think that like she sort of ushered in this new um, this new 
sort of outlook on pregnancy dressing where it's like yeah look at me I'm so hot and so sexy and so womanly and it's this mixture of pregnancy with the sort of erotic in a way that previously we hadn't seen so much of do you think that that was quite empowering for you to see do you think that's had an effect on the way that women dress for pregnancy 100%. since. 100%. It's, it's so funny that you mentioned that because I forget actually, but yeah, I had my whole pregnancy alongside Rihanna. I think her <laughs> baby was born like two days after mine. And actually what's really funny is that I did, I remember like doing like a pregnancy announcement on Instagram and then the day after Rihanna did hers and I was like, thank God I did mine the day before. <laughs> I was like, can you imagine? Um... If it's not too much of a personal question to ask, you're incredibly organised and your whole career is built around creativity but also organisation and planning things. Mm-hmm. And But with being pregnant, you can't predict the future. Did you find that sort of easy to metabolise that feeling or did you have to have a bit of a mindset shift? In terms of being pregnant and like working? Yeah. yeah, no, it definitely... I went through so many emotions. I think that you definitely, as a woman kind of working and being pregnant you feel like you know I don't know if everyone feels like this but I I was like no one's going to work with me or you know maybe my clients are going to stop working with me and I'm not going to like how am I going to do stuff and you kind of I don't for me anyway I went through all the emotions I kind of doubted everything I was like what am I going to do um but then also came out the other end and was just like I think my way of dealing with it was planning I was like okay I know that I'm having a baby (laughs) around this time um what do I need to do between now and then um and again it was a really transformative time for me in terms of work because I think prior to being pregnant I'd been so solo minded I did everything myself I worked with a small team but predominantly of freelancers um and I just kind of had this solo mentality where it's just like you you know when when you're building something and it's just you it's like it's really hard sometimes to let go of that and delegate and when I found out I was pregnant I was like okay I'm really gonna have to make a plan if this is gonna continue to work and I think my biggest fear was like taking a step out and then not really having any output or doing anything and then people just forget about you and then you're like okay well the past you know however many years I've spent working so hard like it's just gonna like go down the drain um so I was like I'm gonna build a team I'm gonna train them and work with them for as long as I can and continue and make sure that CB is able to continue um kind of working and and you know um delivering briefs when I'm off having a baby (laughs) and that's what I did and actually it was you know I was really scared because I was like I don't know if this is going to work I'm like trusting people that you know still really new um but it worked and I feel like so lucky and grateful but what it meant is that yeah for the first time ever I was able to like sit back and delegate and like you know, not be on set every time and not be on every single call and, like, not be in every single email and just let the team do what they needed to do. Um, And then now that I've come back to work, I'm like, wow, this is great. I should have done this earlier. (laughs) I'm so used to just being like, I'll just do everything myself. It's fine. Mm. Um, But, yeah, I definitely went through lots of emotions, but in the end it was really, yeah, it all worked out. I was really lucky. And you took six months off? I took six months off, yeah. So I took six months, um, and then I would... I think there were probably, like... It sounds really bad. I probably I stopped working, like, two weeks before I was due. But, I, again, I just didn't... I, I was, like, felt so able and fine in my body. I was, like, on set, walking around. I was, like, totally fine. So I didn't feel like um, I needed to stop. For me, like, I think... I 
I needed to like keep busy and just like keep doing things and then there were probably about two weeks after where I was just like recovering and then from that point onwards I just had like a weekly check-in with my team. CB in some ways was like my first baby and I also then had this team that I was looking after which was really new so it's funny because at the same time I was learning to be a mom and you know care for my son but then also having a team and you know caring for them and making sure that they were okay and you know how could I support them you know from far and yeah it was kind of all happening at the same time but it worked out it was good. Mm. No, I remember seeing you, um, I think it was at the Bottega NTS party, oh, and yes. um, you were pregnant, <laughs> and I remember it was such a great, I mean, it was such a fun party, as like all the events you organise are, but it was a really wild atmosphere, people were, it was dark, people were drinking, the music yeah, was loud, yeah, yeah. and it was, I found it as a woman, super empowering to see you there, like, pregnant, looking so glad, <laughs> on your shit, doing all the sort of, running the show, and I was like, yes, because I think it is this thing of, when a woman's pregnant, it's very much is oh swaddle them in cotton wool and oh yeah, yeah, obviously yeah. you want to be careful and yeah. um have a healthy pregnancy but yeah. I just thought that is a really that symbol right there yeah. of still doing things and being in the mix and it's a really good reminder for everyone it's like pregnant women are still just as capable and just as sort of powerful yeah okay so next piece this is the piece that reminds you of a low so can you remember what you've picked for this category I think it was definitely oh my god yes it was um the tie-dye blue leggings from American Apparel <laughs> that I definitely wore to like Reading Festival with like a red poncho I really remember and some like wellies some green wellies really gorgeous look um yeah just I think anything American Apparel from that like back back then um and I think I said like an indie little like black bowler hat type thing like so cringe remember getting one of those and wearing it to I think Fekla was like this kind of indie night on a boat in, yeah, in Bristol in Bristol <laughs> do you remember that <laughs> everyone's like it's a club yeah. on a boat yeah. <laughs> very skins um yeah so uh, let's just quickly talk about this phase in your life. So where were you at? What were you doing? It would have been around the time that I was just going to uni or like just at uni. So probably between like 17 and 19 maybe. Um, and I was probably back and forth between Bristol and Brighton. Um, partying loads <laughs> in Brighton and then coming back to Bristol and doing the same. It's funny, you're not the first person who's been on this podcast and mm. said that the piece that reminds me of a low or like a bad style era mm. is from that very era. Yeah. Um, maybe that means I need to diversify the age group of my <laughs> guests, but also it's this funny thing where, but why do you, what do you think people are connecting to in that, I don't know, in that vibe? That I don't know, it's just like this sense of nostalgia, isn't it? It was really fun. Like, that that whole era is really fun. It reminds me of just being quite messy and partying loads and being quite carefree and, yeah, just having loads of fun. <laughs> I think that, um, yeah, people definitely connect to that sense of relief and kind of, you could just be free and, yeah, it was it was a, it was a fun time. So that kind of takes us on to the next piece. So this is the one that reminds you of a great party. Um, so what have you chosen here? Oh, I chose my Molly Goddard chill green skirt. And for ages I never knew how to really wear it because it's like, yeah, it's quite a statement piece. You can't just like <laughs> chuck it on with whatever and it's completely see-through. I remember wearing it to a birthday party of mine in like this 
sex club basement that I did with some friends and it was really funny because I look back at the photos and we all look so different and I'm just there in like this bright green Molly Goddard skirt um, and then I turned it into a dress once I like bought some um, black ribbon and kind of sewed on some like ribbon straps and like put it on as a boob tube dress mm. <laughs> which actually looked really fab and I've worn it to various different parties it's just like it's such it's so so silly um that you just have fun in it normally for this question I ask people for them personally what makes a great party but you are also you know professional party planner yes. extraordinaire <laughs> so I want to hear the other side in terms of when someone's like Claire I want you to plan me the best party ever or the best yeah. party at fashion week what are the ingredients I'm not saying give away your special sauce don't worry yeah. I'm not going to go and create a sort of GGCB studio <laughs> but um yeah what, what are the things that, how do you start planning that what are the things to think about so definitely loads of alcohol <laughs> <laughs> loads of drinks Great music. I think it's always really good to make sure that like you're programming some like varied music and it's not like the same all night. I think guest list like the ingredient like getting the guest list perfect, which actually I don't I don't have a lot of say in that. I don't you know it will be the PRs or whoever's organizing that. But I think that making sure that it's not like an entire room of just industry people can mm. be a bit boring. It's just like you want to have like a good mix of like your party kids, like some industry people, you know, some, just like just like a mixture. So it's like you get all of the different energies and you want some people that are really excited to be there and they're going to have fun. I always notice that when there's like, if there's anything that's like too industry, it's like everyone's too cool and they're not having fun. From a personal perspective, what are your deal breakers? What do you, you know, what kind of music do you like? Um, what are you wearing? Where are you going? What's... Mm, do you know what? It's funny because I was, so I went out on the weekend and I was saying to my friend, I was like, we really need to like start going out, out. There was a period of when, you know, going out was like you'd, you'd get a ticket and you'd, you'd be looking forward to this night. I always say like I love clubbing season, which is like November when it's like cold and mm -hmm. you put on a puffer jacket and you get a taxi to the club and you're like queuing up and then you get inside and just like you check your coat and everything and then that's it. You don't think about anything for six hours until you're like on your way home. It's hard though, isn't it? Because a good night out, it can be a bit alchemic as well where it's like you put in the right ingredients but you're never quite sure whether it's going to turn out yeah because exactly. some there's some nights where like, the stars align and everyone's on great form and the music's amazing and there are some nights where you'll be thinking for weeks this is going to be the best night ever it's going to be the best night ever you're planning your outfit you're yeah. ready you're sort of you're texting your friends about it and then you go out and it's a bit limp for some yeah, reason exactly <laughs> especially now I'm like if I'm going out it has to be really good because I'm going to be so tired the next day and I'm going to be up at 7am regardless so <laughs> I really want to make sure that I'm getting my money's worth um, so yeah what's the your favourite party that you've ever organised or event that you've ever produced oh good question um, do you know what my first ever day at Dazed was the their 25th anniversary you know they'd flown over like Sven the bouncer who the Bergheim bouncer and he was on the door mm. and they had like the, the set design inside was amazing they had made it like lots of different rooms and I think Jamie XX played and that was really really good can you talk a little bit about the PDA parties? Because I feel like that was such an incubator for so much of the exciting talent and collaborations that have come out of London, particularly in the fashion scene. 100%. Um, yeah, tell us a bit Yeah, love that. PDA. Um, PDA was like Misha, Akin and Carrie. And yeah, it would just be at Bar Bar. And they'd always just put a flyer out the night before or like the morning of the night. Like it was very much like that was the energy. And yeah, it's just... 
I feel like there's so, there's so many... The thing about PDA is that you go and there's just like everyone on the dance floor just kind of minding their own business, just having fun. And that's all it was. It was just like... And it was so nice because you're there and you're like dancing next to your best friends or, you know, somebody from this magazine or there or whatever. Or like naturally, like, you know, they just pulled like such an amazing, like creative community of people. And it was just, you know, Misha um, and Akin and Carrot, like all of them, like so deeply care about everyone there. And they make sure that it's a really, really safe space for anyone that wants to come. Um, and yeah, you can really feel that. And it was just, and it's so dark and sweaty in there. <laughs> um, and it, yeah, it's just, yeah, have had many, many fun nights at PDA. So let's go to the piece that made you feel a part of something. So for this, you've chosen your Martine Rose shirt. Um, so can you tell us why you've chosen this piece? Yes, so um, I have a bunch of Martine Rose shirts that actually um, I bought years and years ago at a sample sale and I've just kind of continued to wear them forever. Like They're definitely like one of the items in my wardrobe that just feel really really timeless you can just wear them all the time um and I was recently in Florence doing Martine's show and I think there was this moment when I kind of was looking around at all of the other people there and you know it's predominantly an entire entire female team and they're all incredible and most of them are mothers and everyone kind of had their own Martine Rose shirt on and you can kind of see that it's from, you know, various different seasons and they're all like slightly off um, in terms of the cut or, you know, what the graphic or whatever it is. Um, and yeah, it just felt like, you know, a, a way of being able to identify kind of like this Martine Rose family. And it's really nice because it is like a like a family. She, again, is someone that cares so deeply about everyone that she's working with. They're more than kind of just kind of colleagues or collaborators. They're like best friends. Um, and yeah, it's really nice. It's just this moment of looking around and kind of seeing all these people and just feeling like really proud. Um, how do you deal with pressure? Because as a producer, I think you have to have such a high tolerance for stress. Yeah. Um, you know, you're organising everything, you're calling the shots, you have to be aware of everything that's going on all the time. Um, yeah, how do you feel the pressure? 100%. It's funny because people are always like, you're so calm. They're like, you're such a calm producer. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I guess that means I'm doing my job well because it's not necessarily calm the entire time. I think I'm really good at being calm and composed and dealing with any you know production is troubleshooting the entire time like you're solving problems and looking after people and I think that it's really important that you can do that in a way where you're not like flapping or scaring anyone <laughs> because you they look they look to production for everything there will be tons of times where it's like all going on inside my head and I'm like ch -ch 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 -ch, like thinking um but definitely very like calm here <laughs> and how do you switch off outside of work uh, dancing. Mm -hmm. I would used to go to these amazing dance classes with my friend Naomi. An hour and a half, you're not on your phone, you're just like fully immersed into this thing. Um, and just, yeah, just being with friends and now my son. Like, mm. that's, yeah. Do you find that you're a producer in your outside sort of life as well? Because I find that the greatest luxury is any kind of plan that I don't have to plan, where it's yeah. just like, just turn up here. Oh my gosh, I know. I wish people would plan more stuff for me, but also I'm a control freak, so <laughs> I just plan stuff. Um, 100%, I literally... <laughs> I feel like, especially now having a child, it's honestly so, it's like an 18 year production. It's like so many logistics and things to think about. And like, 
me and Beth are always like, you know, you're always having to plan. You're just like, oh, okay, they're about to start eating. So what do we need to buy now or do now? Or like, they're about to start walking. What do we, what do we need to get? Or like, you know, you're constantly. So I feel like even before having a child, I, you know, I'm, I'm always the person that's planning all the holidays. I'm producing all the holidays, all the friends' birthdays, like all of those things. Um, I would love it so much if someone's just like, Claire, just, you know, just turn up here and it's all done but that never really happens <laughs> that's fine make sure we edit that out so then the the shout out is there uh, any of Claire's friends listening you, you consider that a directive um so let's move on to your penultimate piece so we sort of touched on this before but um this is the piece that you've chosen that makes you feel sexy so what have you chosen for this category oh okay yeah so that again was something that I wore when I was pregnant and it was a 16 Arlington like long kind of baby blue-ish um, knitted kind of dress cardigan. I wore it as like a long open cardigan with some trousers underneath but I undid all the buttons, my belly was out, it was my birthday and I felt really sexy. And it's it's funny because I, I was saying sexy just isn't something that I use to describe myself or my style um, but definitely during that period. I felt the most um so yeah definitely that piece what do you find sexy in others both clothing wise or style wise and personality wise oh good question someone that's funny is sexy (laughs) um clothing wise I think someone that just feels like confident and just themselves like you know someone that doesn't feel like awkward in themselves and what they're wearing someone that just is so them Mm. um I think that's really sexy no matter what that is whether that's like a t-shirt or jeans or you know something else but something that's just like totally owning it like they're wearing the clothes not the other way around Mm. and what about the opposite um unsexiest style sort of (laughs) item or look and also personality (laughs) unsexiest oh um uh a shoe like a like a like a like a jean and a shoe or something (laughs) um on the flip side of that i I think what i find a bit of turn off is if someone is too especially the opposite sex if someone is too into their fashion like if someone cares about it more than i do Mm. i'm a bit like "Mm." no i kind of want you to like look nice but not care that much Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so yeah so we've reached your final item. So this is the piece um, we describe as the one that got away. I don't know why I say we, it's just me. I'm like, <laughs> tell us, well, me and the listeners, mm. but tell us what you have chosen for this category. So I chose this little orange bag that I got from Deptford Market for £2, I'm pretty sure. Um, and it, it didn't, I didn't lose it, it just fell to pieces because I wore it so much. I was obsessed with it. Um, and it was kind of like this little square um, painting, like bright orange with like a little handle. And it also had like a really shit kind of um, string <laughs> that you could use as like a overbody. It was like so cheap, but so fab. And I just wore it to death what made it so special I don't know I think I just like spotted it and it was like it's so bright it's like a kind of really bright orange um and it just I just took it everywhere and I I remember I was looking back at some photos actually and I'm like wow I really really wore that to every single thing it's like in photos with me at like just out and about at a friend's wedding in Jamaica just everywhere (laughs) 
almost like the where's Wally of items sometimes. Yeah. Those yeah. things that just pop up in all the photos from all of the things. Yeah. And I also always feel like it's the one where if I were to ever go missing and I wanted to give a signal, uh-huh. that would be the item that I would somehow try and get to the person that I love or to get to a friend because they'd be like, oh, George is alive. <laughs> they'd be like, oh, the orange bag. It's a sign. Claire yes. is speaking to us. Exactly. Like, People just knew me for that little bag. It's funny because some of my friends call me Lil Bag because I would always have a little bag with me <laughs> whether it's that one or a different one that was definitely that's been my longest serving little bag <laughs> mm. and um this is a slightly random question that I kind of want to ask earlier but um you are a real sort of I don't know what's a less cheesy way of being like trendsetter but you know you're quite pioneering in your field um you produce really exciting and creative projects with people you know right back from the start when you were talking about babyface do you ever encounter people sort of copying your work um, or your, the style of the way you do things? How do you deal with it when that happens? Um, I feel like I don't, I try not to really like think about that too much or get too bogged down in that. I'm just like, there are definitely moments when you're looking at what other people are doing. I think it's natural and you'd probably be weird if you did it. Mm. <laughs> but I really try not to focus on that too much and just try and focus on what I'm doing. And yeah, there are always going to be people that are doing similar things, but actually um, what makes you, you, like sounds really cheesy as well, but it's just like, it's you. No one else can kind mm. of impersonate that. Um, and I think I'm really lucky. I work with a lot of people that I have built relationships with. You know, I work with a lot of friends and I work with people continuously and you kind of build these Um, really close relationships that feels quite special in itself Mm. the word producer or like production Mm. it can encompass so much but it also kind of has to because you play so many different roles not only are you organizing things but you're the glue and you're the go-between for so many different elements for creative production yeah and so you have to kind of shape shift and I think that chameleonic quality that is a very unique thing yeah uh, to a person so it's probably actually quite hard to imitate yeah so in terms of just a few like more quick fire questions to mm. end um what are some of the most treasured pieces in your wardrobe right now treasured pieces definitely my blazers again shout out my blazers and what's one thing on your wish list could be personally professionally a dream project a dream collaborator see we did a lot of projects last year that were like um outside of london but i was i was having a baby so i wasn't i wasn't attending um so i'd really love to do some things this year that i can kind of like do a bit of traveling with um that would be the goal maybe some like nice perfume ads on a beach or something (laughs) something like that um she's looking for lifestyle gigs yes (laughs) exactly (laughs) personally family things Mm. um and like a nice family holiday or something like that so yeah If you want to see pictures of Claire's pieces and get a bit more information about her work, check out the accompanying newsletter, which is linked in the show notes. You can find more episodes of Threads of Conversation on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you're enjoying the show, then why not subscribe and leave us a rating? As always, special thanks to The Standard London, where this episode was recorded. 